Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's April 10th, 2018. We've hit double digits and we're here to talk about Dodgers baseball and baseball across the board as usual. But first, let's set things straight. We're going to start the podcast a little different now. I've noticed the last nine episodes, no structure whatsoever. Let's fix that. Let's start the podcast how every baseball game in America is usually started in Major League Baseball. And that's with a ceremonial first pitch. Now you might have been to a game where the first pitch was phenomenal. Like the Dodgers opening day when Kurt Gibson came out back at Dodger Stadium with the same bat in hand that he used in 1988 to hit one of the most famous home runs in baseball history. But there's a ceiling to these first pitches. And the ceiling for the ceremonial first pitch is George Bush in 2001. After 9-11 happened, he comes out in the New York Yankees first Arizona Diamondbacks World Series, throws it from the bump because Derek Jeter right before he went out there told him to, and he throws an absolute strike. Crowd goes crazy, snipers on the roof. There's nothing better than that ceremonial first pitch. Now the floor for it, let's pay homage to 50 Cent, who threw the first pitch out at the Mets game a few years back. And it, hands down, was the worst ceremonial first pitch in history. Now there's some good and bad in between. I was at a game where Jessica Alba threw it out. Anything she does is going to be great. I was also at a game when Chris Harrison from The Bachelor threw one out. And I could give zero shits if that guy's anywhere where I am at the same time. So I don't know how he did because I wasn't watching. But when I start the podcast, I'm either going to start with the best of the best, George Bush, or I'm going to start with the low of the lowest in 50 Cent. And this week, we're going to start off on a high note, and we're going to give George Bush the ceremonial first pitch to no other, Yadier Molina of the St. Louis Cardinals. Why, you might ask? He started the first bench-clearing brawl of the 2008 season, and there's nothing more than I enjoy than the bullpens emptying, the dugouts emptying, for no apparent reason, no punches thrown, but I love it. I love the shit talking, and there's no better guy to start it than Yadier Molina. So on Sunday, Arizona Diamondbacks traveled to Bush Stadium, finishing a three-game series with the St. Louis Cardinals. In the very first inning, David Peralta takes strike three at the ankles, throws his bat thinking it's ball four. Two batters later, or a batter later, A.J. Pollock comes up, gets a strike three called at his ankles. He throws his bat like he's got ball four. Ter- Tori Lovello, Diamondbacks manager, runs out of the dugout and starts screaming at the umpire, gets ejected immediately. And he's pointing at the plate, but really he's pointing at Yadier Molina. And the words that come out of his mouth are, don't let this motherfucker steal pitches. And Yadier Molina lost his shit as usual. Pushes the umpire trying to get to Lavello. Lavello throws up his arms like he said nothing. Benches are clearing. Yadier's trying to get at Lavello's throat. 
all hell is breaking loose at Bush Stadium. Because Tori Lovello uttered the words, this motherfucker, to Yadier Molina. And you don't do that, especially to a guy that has history with making the benches clear for no apparent reason. But he had every damn reason this time. Because you don't let a guy say this mother effer right to your face. Especially when you have that much cred as Yadier does. It's the same guy who back in the day started a bench-clearing brawl with the Cincinnati Reds one day after Brandon Phillips talked shit to the media. The first at-bat the next day, when Brandon Phillips stepped to the plate, he did his usual, tapped the umpire, tapped the catcher, and Yadier Molina knocked his bat around and said, hey, don't fucking talk to me after talking shit yesterday. Don't act like we're all cool now. So Bench is clearing that one. He even has history with the Dodgers. Playoffs a few years ago. Yasiel Puig gets hit by Adam Wainwright in the first inning. Adrian Gonzalez, loving to death, from the on-deck circle says, oh, we're not doing this today. And him and Yadier are at each other's throats. As much as I didn't like Yadier then, I love him now. He might be a punk, but he's more pro than punk. Because Lavello ain't getting away with saying MF-er to one of the best catchers and a for sure Hall of Famer in Yadier Molina. So he will, and he did, just throw out the first ceremonial first pitch for this podcast. And it deserved a George Bush 9-11 ceremonial first pitch because it was the first bench-clearing brawl, no punches thrown, but it was a beauty of the season. Now let's get to Dodgers baseball. I'm going to blame their slow start right off the bat on the odd and weird schedule they got going on. So they did play seven straight games. We know about the first four split with the Giants. They get swept by the Diamondbacks, have that day off on Thursday. So they got to sit there with a two and four record. Two and seven record, excuse me, or two and five record. So then Friday night's game gets postponed against the Giants because of rain. So they got to sit with that record for two days. Their worst record since 1998. So Rich Hill throws on Saturday. Gives up three runs. Bullpen holds it down. Chase Utley hits a late home run to tie the game at four. Dodgers go into another extra inning affair. Forsyth singles in the run in the 14th inning. Takes a 5-4 lead. Dodgers don't have anyone left in the bullpen. Just like they didn't on Monday night against the Diamondbacks when they played 15 innings and Wilmer Font took them out. Wilmer Font gets the ball this time. He's battling. One-on-one situation with McCutcheon. I think it was a 12-pitch at bat. Two runners on. And McCutcheon picks up his sixth hit of the game. Supplanting himself into this rivalry as one of the hated ones. Walk-off three-run homer. Giants win 7-5. Dodgers drop to 2-6. Worst start in 40 years. 2-6. Dodgers nearly had another one, and it slipped through their fingers. So they go into Sunday's game, Kershaw. He's been the Dodgers stopper for years. He takes the mound, strikes out six over seven innings, comes out in a 1-1 tie. Dodgers in the 10th inning, two runners on, 
send big Kyle Farmer to the plate to pinch hit. Another extra inning game. What do you know? And Farmer doubles down the line, runs scores, Dodgers take a 2-1 lead. Jansen gets the ball in the bottom half of the 10th, picks up his first save of the year. 3-6 and six record, finally get a win. After their last winning coming a previous Sunday ago, so they had to go from Sunday to Sunday, one win. Tough breaks. You think maybe you could start some momentum right now? Jansen's feeling good. But no. Monday, day off. Then you come home to play the Oakland A's on Tuesday and Wednesday. Opening day started on a Thursday this year. I'm not going to talk down about opening day ever especially this season with everyone starting on the same day. But Dodgers play three extra inning games. They get swept by the Nimebacks two days off in between their series with the Giants. Now when they finally pick up their third one of the season, they have another day off, two with the A's, and then a day off on Thursday. Where do you find momentum there? It's just an unfortunate situation. I'm going to blame the schedule. Because you got to get in the rhythm somehow. The rotation hasn't been in anything. They've had to push a few guys back. Woods got pushed, Wood got pushed back because he was sick. They knew about Friday night's game getting rained out, so Maeda hasn't pitched in a while. They wanted Hill and Kershaw for the Giants series. Smart there. So everything's been up in the air. And to play two games in the first week of the season where you run out of guys on the bench is brutal. So I'm directing all the blame towards the schedule for this slow start the Dodgers are on. Hopefully they pick things up against the Oakland A's who have struggled. And then they got a big three-game series over the weekend with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Speaking of structure... We're going to have another segment. It's called Circle the Pillows. Yep, if you don't know that term, you probably should because that means it's a home run. So we're going to round the bases with a couple topics around Major League Baseball. First one, I'm going to start with the Mets sweeping the Nationals over the weekend. The New York Mets are 7-1, their best start since 2006. Yeah, I know it's only eight games. Yeah, I've said it once or twice already that they're my NL wildcard pick to take on the Diamondbacks. But no. We're only rounding first, so I don't think this is a big deal at all. Yes, it's huge that they swept the Nationals, who are, other than the Dodgers, are probably the favorite in the National League. And the way the Dodgers have been playing right now, the Nationals would be the favorite in the National League. I think it's big for the Mets, but I'm not buying it right now at all. We saw their pitching staff go to shambles last year because of injury. It's a 162-game season. I'm not batshit crazy to jump on this wagon at 7-1. and one. Yeah, it's impressive, but you look around their infield, Todd Frazier, Abdullah Cabrera, that's not how you pronounce his name. Adrian Gonzalez at first. Cespedes, Jay Bruce. Those are some older dudes. 
if you don't think their pitching staff could stay healthy, I think it's going to be tough for any of those guys to stay healthy. They're on the wrong side of 30. They're playing well right now, especially the bullpen. The staff's second best ERA behind the Houston Astros who are rolling right now. So a three-game sweep in the first week of the season, I'm selling that very quickly. But it's good to know the Mets are playing tough against the Nationals because you can't go anywhere unless you take out the top dog. And in 2016, the Mets were 7-12 and against the Nationals, and in 2017, they were 6-13. and you got to beat the teams in your division, and especially the one at the top. Let's move to second base. The second pillar. The players of the week. Jamison Tyon in the National League. How easy is it to root for this guy? Cancer survivor came back late last or early last year, and he had a terrific week. Gets his first shutout of his career. Goes 2-0 with a 1.26 ERA and 14 and one-third of an inning pitch. 16 strikeouts, just two earned runs for the Pittsburgh Pirates who are off to a scorching hot start. And if you told me before the season that the Pittsburgh Pirates would be at the top of the National League Central, I don't care if it's the first week, third day, fourth day, I don't care. The fact that the Pirates are 7-2 and two shows you how good of a manager Clint Hurdle is. Because a whole, all the talk at the beginning of the season was the Pittsburgh Pirates being one of those teams that could care less about winning, trading away a guy like Andrew McCutcheon, traded Tony Watson away last year. There's still talent on that ball club and Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco, who's killing it. So props to Tyon for getting a National League Player of the Week Especially all he's gone through. Couldn't be happier for the guy. Let's move over to third base. The third pillow. Boston Red Sox, 8-1. and one. Should we really be taking the Boston Red Sox seriously? Just like I talked about with the Mets on Monday. Or on... I don't know why I said Monday. I was talking about them literally three minutes ago. But the Red Sox are 8-1, and one, best record in the major leagues. But let's question who they've played. They've beaten up on Tampa Bay, Miami, and Tampa Bay. The two Florida teams that started this season and all through the offseason made an effort to put the shittiest baseball team on the baseball field. So should we give Boston credit? I'm going to. Because in order to be a good team, you got to beat up on the shitty teams. Yeah, you got to beat the good ones. Like we just talked about with the Mets. But you also have to beat the teams you should beat. And Boston has taken care of business. And they've done it with great pitching. And they have one of the best offenses, hands down, in the American League and probably... Both leagues combined, they have one of the top offenses. Although, Bogarts did go down today, which should be concerning for all Red Sox fans because you need that guy in the middle of the infield. But the talent on that squad, Mookie Betts, 
Andrew Benintendi, J.D. Martinez starting to pick it up. I picked them at the beginning of the season to win the American League East. And now when you see David Price having the start he's having, he could be one of the best pitchers in baseball. We've seen it before. So yes, I don't care who Boston's playing. They're 8-1. and one. The Yankees are coming to town this week. And get ready for ESPN to show every single game on national television and to show batting practice beforehand. Yes, I'll admit, I will tune in to see batting practice the first time they do it, but not when they continue to show it every single time the Yankees and Red Sox play each other. So let's touch home. I'm getting a lot of shit because I wasn't buying into the Otani hype. But I'm not the only one. Everyone's apologizing. Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports wrote an article today apologizing for not buying in and taking spring training numbers too seriously. Just like I did. Otani is out of this world to begin the season. Yes, we've only played 10 games. But this guy is unbelievable. I mentioned he had a first home run in his first at-bat in Angel Stadium. He only went on to homer three times in his first four games. And he pitched nearly a perfect game on Sunday against the Oakland Athletics. And these numbers I have in front of me are bizarre from MLB.com. The swing and miss stuff this guy has, that was the talk about him. Maybe he won't make it as a hitter, but his stuff is A+. He's most definitely going to be a pitcher in this league no matter what right now. Otani got 25 swinging strikes among the 91 pitches he threw on Sunday. His 90th pitch of the day was 98.5 miles per hour. Hitters have now whiffed on 26 of their 37 swings against Otani's splitter across his two outings. That's a 70.3% whiff rate. And that's the highest of any MLB starting pitcher on a single pitch this season. Minimum 20 swings. His 25 total whiffs on Sunday came on 44 swings by the Oakland A's. That whiff per per swing rate is 56.8%. Since StatCast began tracking in 2015, only three other starting pitchers have recorded a higher whiff rate in an outing. And that's Corey Kluber, Danny Duffy, Francisco Liriano. I probably shouldn't have mentioned the other two, but I'm not afraid to mention Corey Kluber at the top of that list, and you should be shocked that Otani's doing this type of shit. You've seen all the stats. No one's done it since Babe Ruth. I was super pissed off in spring training and before then when Babe Ruth was being brought up in the same sentence as Otani. I took it personal. Babe Ruth is God. But when you're seeing things that haven't been done since 1919, we should be pretty happy and we should be tuning in to see this guy. Especially if he pitches. And I was hoping he didn't throw a perfect game on Sunday because I had the opportunity to go. And everyone knows me. My dream is to see a perfect game or no hitter live. And if it happened, 
and I had the opportunity to go, I'd probably end this podcast and cry myself to sleep for the rest of the damn year. So let's close this thing out with a little preview of the Dodgers series against the A's. You got Hun Jin Ru throwing tomorrow against, or tonight, I should say. This will be released on April 10th at Dodger Stadium against Sean Manaya, who's been off to a great start for the Oakland A's. Lefty. Ruse 0-0, but 7.36 ERA. Didn't make it out of four innings in his first start against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, he's the fifth starter on this team. But right now, Dodgers need all their guys to perform. And the way Oakland looked against Otani in his first start, you should be able to get some film and say, hey, this is where I'm going to throw the baseball, and this is why they're not going to hit it. Ruse got good stuff. We've seen him at his best, and we've seen him at his absolute worst, just like any other pitcher. But the Dodgers, like I said with the Boston Red Sox, you've got to beat up on the teams that you should be able to beat, and this Oakland A's team is one of them. And then in Game 2, the Dodgers are throwing Alex Wood, which is a good sign because he's been one of the better pitchers for the Dodgers over the last two years, and he looked great in his first outing against the Giants. Pitched pretty well on the day game against the Diamondbacks, allowed three runs. Dodgers just didn't come up with any hits. Dodgers offense, I'll say one thing about the Dodgers offense. They look completely different from last year, and there's only one thing to point to. They're swinging early in counts, and they're not grinding out at bats, and that's something they took pride in last season. And if you saw in the World Series, that's what they did to put runners on base. Chris Taylor, it starts with Chris Taylor at the top of the lineup. Yeah, he's got pop in his swing. Yeah, he's got power to the gaps. But you have to get on base to score runs. It's that simple. Right now, the Dodgers can't come up, come up with runs. Really, because no one's on base. And it looks like they might be trying to do too much. I think it's because they're not, they're going completely rogue from what they did last season. But I think it's just going to take time. And this is a perfect opportunity for the Dodgers to get two wins at home against a struggling Oakland A's team. And we're going to have Wood and Rue on the mound. I expect Wood to be phenomenal. And the Dodgers have to hope to get at least five or six innings out of Rue. The bullpen's been taxed. They've been great. But you can't run this bullpen into the ground one weekend of the damn season. And that is it for episode 10 of the 10 After 7 podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7 or on Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'll be on later this week to break down the Oakland A's series. Woo! Go Dodgers.